And then we're tonight or this morning we're going to uh, continue our study now of uh, looking at the wise words of the teacher uh, as we look at uh, finding true wisdom uh, in this life. And we have seen that Solomon has explained to us uh, a number of aspects as he has plunged himself. Uh, into every possible arena of life to try to find if there's really lasting satisfaction and and deep value in those pursuits. Uh, He has looked at things as life under the sun, taking God out of the equation and having just a simple human point of view, trying to determine if the things in this world will really give you all the purpose and all that satisfaction that everybody is longing for uh, in this world. And uh, this lesson now, as uh, Solomon continues to uh, jot these points in his journal, is going to talk about wealth. And it's interesting, as we've studied this, you'll see that we return back to some of these topics, that Solomon has touched on these, these topics already, but now he's going to go into greater depth and describe the futility uh, and senselessness that exists in living a life uh, seeking after, in today's lesson, uh, a desire and pursuit for wealth, for riches, and for possessions. And so let's look at what the writer of Ecclesiastes here, our teacher, has to tell us uh, this morning. We'll be in chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes, and we'll begin in verse 10. The one who loves money is never satisfied with money, and whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with income. This, too, is futility. Well, that's an interesting way to, to kick it off, especially because here the teacher points out two areas that I think we often have the lack of satisfaction. He says, you know what, uh, those who love money, you're never satisfied with the total amount of money that you have. And I don't know if we were to take a silent poll and pass the paper around, and I said, now are you happy with the amount of money you have in the bank. I suppose we'd all go, yeah, I think I could really bump that up a little bit. I need a little bit more, you know. Well, we're getting by all right, but now, you know, come on, raise it up, raise it up. And, and I want us to see what the teacher does here. She says, you know, if you raised it up, if I passed the paper back around again, you know what you'd say? Raise it up again. <laughs> Raise it up again. And that's what he says. There's futility here. We often think when it comes to wealth that, well, what I have right now is insufficient. If you plugged in X more dollars, then I would be set. I would be satisfied. And here Solomon kind of shakes his head and goes, no, no, you really wouldn't be. You really wouldn't be. And then he uses the other side here and says, now whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with income. Well, if I just got paid more annually. Now, I know I don't have a lot in the bank right now, but if you just could get a pay bump, then I would be happier. You know, just give me a few thousand more every year, and then I'd be set to go. And then you know what you'd say next year. (laughs) Give me a little bit more. I need a little bit more income. I need a little bit more coming. A little bit more coming in. And so he's just as simply pointing out is that it doesn't bring any satisfaction. We have within our minds the idea that it is this goal of if we hit this point, then we would take our ease, then we would sit back, we would be able to be comfortable, we'd be able to relax, we wouldn't have any worries anymore, we would have money and we'd be fine. 
And Solomon says that is uh, wrong thinking. We like to think that that's what's going to bring us satisfaction when in fact it won't. Put more money in the bank, you're still not going to be satisfied. You're going to want even more money in the bank. Raise the income, get paid more per year, you're still going to want to be paid even more per year. And so watch that. Watch the futility of that. That is a waste. And I thought this was an interesting way that he states it because I think this is a useful test for us. Is that to ask ourselves, are we satisfied with our wealth, our possessions, and our income? Because understand that he says here, the one who loves money is the one who's not satisfied with these things. And so, careful. We might be raising a red flag for ourselves that, well, we might find that we are the one who loves money. A good little test for ourselves. Because I'm sure if I pass that paper around with the question, do you love money? No. No, no. Well, certainly not. Uh, I'm not engrossed in wealth. But notice that connection that's being made. It is those who love money, those who love wealth, they are the ones who are never satisfied. And so this is an interesting beginning and warning that he lays out here concerning the futility of that. And as we, he mentioned before, I want to draw it back in here. Money buys comfort, but it doesn't buy contentment. It won't buy satisfaction. It doesn't buy peace. It doesn't buy rest. And Solomon has been spending his time describing that. All the money that you can acquire can buy a lot of niceties, can make things a little more comfortable in your living, but it won't fill the void. It will not bring you the satisfaction that you're looking for in this life. And Solomon has the right to know. Remember, when we began this study of Ecclesiastes, uh, was there anybody richer in his day and age? Here is the king over Israel, and he's got the nations of the world paying tribute. He knows what wealth is. This isn't some poor man sitting on the corner saying, yeah, you know, wealth isn't for everybody. It's no big, no, no. This is somebody who had the wealth far more than we could ever imagine being able to use or have or capture or obtain any of that. And he says, I've got it all. You're not going to be happy. You're not going to be satisfied. It's not going to bring you the lasting joy. Which leads him now really into the rest of his discussion after making this point here of you're not going to be satisfied. You're not going to find your, your enjoyment here. Then consider verse 11. When goods increase, those who eat them increase. And what gain has their owner but to see them with his eyes? This is quite funny. Uh, the, the point that he makes concerning the acquiring of wealth. And he says there's just a great anomaly that takes place. The more you have, the more it goes out. Now, I think if I took the poll, we would all raise our hands and say, yeah, the more money that comes in, the more it flushes right back out again. And he points out a couple of reasons for that. One, the more money that you have, the more other people jump in and say, would you give me some? <laughs> the more you say, oh, i got some here. i got some more people raise their hands and say, help me out. Uh, give me a gift. Give me a loan. And so it's a, a very interesting phenomenon that Solomon points his finger at and says, uh, the more you have, the more people are going to try to take. And he says, this is a futile thing. This is a waste. What a, what a sad state. And then I think even more interesting that I think not only uh, explicitly stated but can be understood as well as, you know, the more that we make, the more that we spend. You notice that? When we get the pay raise and we get the more income, what do we typically do? 
but acquire more monetary obligations because we've got more money. <laughs> right? Oh, now I can afford this car. Now I can afford this home. Now I can afford that restaurant. Now I can afford these things that I couldn't afford before. And we're not actually getting anywhere. We're just spending more money. One of my favorite quotes, I wish I could have recorded it because I would just try to find some way to stick it into my computer and play it for you. About 10 years ago, the, the NBA had a, had a strike that took place between uh, the owners and the players. And Patrick Ewing, if you remember him, he was one of the greatest centers of all time for the New York Knicks. He was the player representative uh, for them. And he was asked the question, you, you guys make millions of dollars. Why would you be on strike for just a little bit more to raise the salary cap that you'd be paid just marginally another million dollars? You're pay, being paid tens of millions already. And he answered, players make a lot of money, but we spend a lot of money also. I thought, that's your excuse? <laughs> yeah, that's what we do. We make a lot of money, but we spend a lot of money. And the more we make, the more we spend. The more it goes right out the door. Instead of in, in saving it away, being able to have a cushion, we just spend it right back out all the more. And instead of just keeping our standard of living where it is, we ratchet it up and ratchet it up and ratchet it up. And so here's a, a futile thing that Solomon is pointing out, and that's just what we do. The more we make, the more we spend. The more we make, the more others want to spend. Seems that way with kids. Boy, they're good spenders. They just spend it right out. Uh, that, that's what Solomon is observing in, in life. And so he, Solomon gave a great warning as he wrote the Proverbs, and it is very applicable here. When he gave the warning, do not wear yourself out to be rich. We are seeing all sorts of reasons here why not to. One, it's not going to bring you satisfaction. You'd like to think so. You'd like to think that that extra is going to make you happy and get you all set for life. It's not going to do it. Understand, trying to get rich, the more you have, the more others are going to try to take, the more the others are going to try to spend, and the more you make, the more you're going to spend. And so, don't wear yourself out to be rich. Stop giving attention to it. For as soon as your eyes fly to it, it disappears, it make, for it makes wings for itself and flies like an eagle to the sky. I know we could all put yes on the questionnaire of, doesn't it seem like every time you get just a little bit extra, you get the little bit that you start feeling like you're okay, something drastically goes wrong. <laughs> That's when the car breaks. That's when something falls apart. That's when the roof falls off. That's, that's when it happens. As soon as you just, just take your breath and go, oh, we're going to be okay this week. No, this is the worst month ever. Something else goes completely wrong. And so here's Solomon saying, so why do we keep trying? Why are we killing ourselves for wealth? Stop. Quit paying attention to it because you've already experienced it just as you think you're just to get your hands around it. It flies off like an eagle. And it doesn't come back. And yet we just go chasing after it again. That's why I notice what is Ecclesiastes described all this? Chasing the wind. We've spent all this time. This is chasing the wind. This is a wasted pursuit. It's not going to happen. And so Solomon then reminding us about this. This is the way wealth works. And so understand that. Now he goes on in verse 12 and points out a little bit more about wealth. 
He says, the sleep of the worker is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich permits him no sleep. This is very counterintuitive to what we think would bring us rest and enjoyment. I think we all believe, as I would typically believe, I think it's within our human nature to think, if we had more wealth, we would have more rest. If I had more, I'd be able to take my ease, right? I'd just be able to relax, everything would be fine. I'd have all these things, have all my money, all my possessions. I could rest. I want you to point out, uh, that's not the case. More wealth brings will not bring less worry. And we think, that's just going to take care of it all. We won't have to have to worry about resting. It'll just be able to relax. There'll be no more worries. I I think we look at the rich and think they live a worry-free life. How could you have worries? You have money. Well, because money doesn't really solve much of anything. (laughs) Very few things in life does money fix. And so here Solomon steps back and says, you know, you're not going to have less worries in life. But consider actually what he points out. You'll have more. And that just, you know, you kind of cock your head at that and go, really? I'll have more? Why would I have more worry from wealth? Why wouldn't I have less? That's, that's what the world seems to picture for us. Is we would have less worry. We, things, would, things would be so much easier. And yet, notice the point that he makes. The sleep of the worker is sweet. He just has not much to take care of. You get up in the morning. You go do your job. You're done with your job for the day. What's to worry about? We're going to see what the rich man has to worry about. He's going to describe through chapter 5 all the problems that the, the wealthy encounter. The wealthy is not so easy. And we saw that also previously as Solomon has described all the things that can, that can be worried about in life. You don't have to worry about all these things. Worry about all your possessions. Worry about how all these things are going to be taken care of. You just have a very simple life. I think most of us can look back at times in our lives when we didn't have much and that's when things were simple. And it seems like the more you acquire, the more complex things get in life. we got more things to take care of. That's when more things break. That's why more things have to be fixed. And things get more and more expensive because we have higher and higher taste because we keep making more money. And so we have to buy nicer things. Instead of just being able to, well, this is all I have. Enjoy the few possessions that I have. Psalm is just making a simple point that the simple life is not about having wealth. You will enjoy life more by just living a life of simplicity rather than living a life of wealth. And now he'll explain that here in these next few verses. Verse 13. There is a sickening tragedy that I have seen under the sun. Wealth kept by its owner to its, his harm. That wealth was lost in a bad venture, so when he fathered a son, he was empty-handed. As he came from his mother's womb, so he will go again naked as he came. He will take nothing uh, for his efforts that he can carry in his hands. This, too, is a sickening tragedy. Exactly as he comes, so he will go. What does he gain who struggles for the wind? What is more, more, he eats eats in darkness all his days with with much sorrow, sickness, and anger. So here's an interesting description. He says, well, let me tell you about this thing that I've seen about, about, the, about the wealthy. He says, it brings you pain. You know, why? 
Why would it do that? What is so painful about, well, this should make life easy. It should make life simple. He makes a couple of points here. He begins with, well, did you notice with the story of this man, it was lost in a business venture. <laughs> That's kind of an interesting thing. And we said, no, no, that wouldn't be the case. But think about it, even in our own society, there have been the majority of people that that's exactly what's happened to them. It's been a long lost forgotten day when we've forgotten that. Remember uh, Donald Trump filed for bankruptcy? <laughs> Remember when he actually went into bankruptcy? <laughs> Bad venture. It happens. Here's the worries of the rich. When you have the wealth, you're trying to worry about not losing your wealth. People are trying to take it. You don't want to overspend it. It's going to be lost in a bad investment and be lost in a bad venture. And so all this worry comes upon the wealthy. And here is this wealthy person, and he's got all of this wealth, and he loses it. Oh, can you imagine? Oh, awful. And then what we read about in the process, though, is that he has a family and he doesn't have anything to provide for him. It's a fascinating little story about this person who's very wealthy. He has all of this wealth and he loses it in a business venture. Now what is he going to do? Oh, now he has all the concerns in the world of the inability to take care of them. And then notice the statement that's made there in verse 17. When he says, he eats in darkness all his days. This is a, a Hebrew reference to he becomes alone. Remember last week we talked to the workaholics. We said, warning, you end up without family, you end up without friends, you lose everything that there is that is important to life. Here is a picture of that person. Here is this person who had all this wealth, he had done all of this work, and now look what he has ended up with. He has no wealth, and now he's alone in the process. He sits alone, spending the rest of his life in sorrow, sickness, and anger. And that's what so often happens. In our effort to be wealthy, in our effort to acquire possessions, we sacrifice family and friends along the way. We make them second place so that we can acquire more wealth. And we do it with what seems to be a very good justification. That, well, it'll all still be there later. We'll get this wealth now so that we can enjoy it later on. And this is the second time Solomon now has told us a story about a person who made the fatal mistake of believing that family and friends would be there later while he went off to acquire this wealth. And guess what? In the process, he lost the family and friends. He sits in darkness. He's all alone. He sacrificed the family and friends. With all that work and all that effort for wealth, they left him. He had no time for his family. He had no time for children, no time for his spouse, no time for his parents, no time for his friends. What a sad and miserable existence. And that's the point that he gives here. Verse 13, this is a sickening tragedy that I have seen under the sun. I would just echo those words. I have seen that too often. It is a sickening tragedy to see a person strive so hard for wealth and possessions and lose everybody else all around him in the process. What are you thinking? That is tragic. What could you possibly be thinking? And so that's what he describes here. And then, here's the kicker. As he points out here now in verse 15, if you don't lose your wealth by a bad business venture from people trying to take your money or you spend it all too much, you're going to lose it when you die. <laughs> you see the humor that Solomon presents is that 
You're going to lose all that you spent this effort. You're going to lose it all anyway. It's all going to be gone at some point. So if you don't lose it yourself through bad business venture, through bad choices, through all the people who come out of the woodwork trying to take the money away, through your own spending, well, when you die, it's gone too. You can't take it with you. Love the phrase. Naked we came into this world and naked we return. And that's it. It's gone. You don't get to take it with you. So why are we trying so hard to be wealthy? Why are we trying to accumulate possessions? Do you see all the points that he's making against it? It's not going to satisfy you. You're going to lose people in the process. You can't keep it. It's easy to lose. It's going to bring you more worries. What are we doing? Why are we trying so hard? That's not where lasting joy and satisfaction comes from. And so he gives us this warning and tells us, look, look at the pain that's brought about by riches. The simple life, that brings about enjoyment. The simple life is the times that can be enjoyed. Verse 18, he continues, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God, for he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the joy of his heart. This is interesting. He draws, excuse me, he draws a conclusion after describing the pain of, of being wealthy, describing all the pitfalls that exist. Notice some of the things that he just simply concludes with. The first is enjoy what you have. And I don't think any of these lessons are separated from all the other journal points that he's made earlier. Remember chapter 3. You have a limited amount of time. Enjoy what you have because your time is limited. You have a very limited amount of time to be able to enjoy what God has given you. Take advantage of the time to enjoy these things that you have in this earth. And so notice what he says that what God's gift is. I put them into what I think he's saying here for our 21st century. He says... Here's what's God's gift. Accept the circumstances that you're in. Be content with your own situation and enjoy what you have. That's God's gift to you. How often that's not what we want. <laughs> we don't want that gift. We want more. We want more. Give us more. We need more possessions, more wealth, bigger, better. God says, if you'll just look at what you have... Accept your circumstances. Be content with the situation. There's a lot to appreciate. There's a lot to enjoy. And I suggest to you in verses 18 through 20, he's saying to spend what you have. Now, watch how he's doing it. I, everything he's done has been in a very good balance. He's told us, don't overwork. There's no reason to overwork. There's no point to that. Make what's necessary. He also condemned the lazy. Don't fold the hands. Remember the folding of the arms, he consumes himself. So he says you can't be lazy and do nothing, but don't overwork. There's no point to that. Work what is necessary. Do what you need to do so that you can enjoy life, enjoy the fruit of your labor. Don't be wasteful. When he speaks about this, I don't think you say, well, just blow it like crazy. That, that doesn't make sense. It's not in keeping with the context. But the point I think he's making is don't be a Scrooge. Once you have what's been given to you, enjoy it. This is the fruit of your labor. Enjoy what you have. What's been, what is wrong that he described with the wealthy? Ah, he's trying to hoard. He's trying to keep it all. He's fighting off all the... Uh, 
Just enjoy what you have. Enjoy the fruit of your labor. And keeping in mind what we learned in Ecclesiastes 3 about time, because the seasons of life are always going to be changing. Enjoy what you have right now, because things could be terribly different later on. We like to assume that we've got the utopia ahead of us, and so we're just going to kill ourselves so that we can get to that point there, and you don't know you're going to have that point. You don't know you're going to have your friends then to be able to spend the money on. You don't know you're going to have your family then to spend the money on. But you have it now. Enjoy it now. And I think that's what he's telling us. God has given to us what we have to enjoy. Enjoy the fruit of your labor. Enjoy it. So, balance. Don't be tight. Don't be crazy. Spendy. (laughs) Just enjoy. Work what you need to work. Don't overwork. Don't be lazy. Right down the middle. Enjoy the circumstances. Enjoy where you are. Enjoy the situation you have. Appreciate the things that God has given to you. He now tells another story in chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 1. Here is a tragedy that I have observed under the sun, and it weighs heavily on humanity. So here he sets back and goes, this is another shameful thing. Just like he saw... In uh, here, chapter into chapter five, we talked about here is the sickening tragedy of the wealthy uh, who's going to lose his money one way or the other. Here is a tragedy he's observed under the sun. Verse two: God gives a man riches, wealth, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of, of all he desires for himself. But God does not allow him to enjoy them. Instead, a stranger will enjoy them. This is futile and a sickening tragedy. A man may father a hundred children and live many years, no matter how long he lives, if he is not satisfied by good things and does not, and does not even have a proper burial. I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For he comes in futility and goes in darkness, and his name is shrouded in darkness. Though a stillborn child does not see the sun and is not conscious, it has more rest than he. For if he lives a thousand years twice but does not experience happiness, do not both go to the same place? All man's labor is for his stomach, yet the appetite is never satisfied. This is an interesting description, and it plays off of what we just saw. Here is a person, he's got all that there is in life, it sounds like. He's got the riches, he's got the wealth, he's got the honor, but can he enjoy it? Is he enjoying what he has? No, he's not. This is a sickening tragedy. Here he is presenting to us, enjoy what you have. Enjoy the things that you have in this world. Look at the things that God has given you. Enjoy them. What a sickening tragedy to have these things and not be able to enjoy it. And what he simply gets down to then, I think, in this description is, what is the point if you can't enjoy it? As he says, he left it to a stranger. Well, great. (laughs) Wonderful. Wise thinking there. (laughs) Why would you do that? Enjoy what you have. Be satisfied with the good things that are available to us in this life. And so he gives this description of of the desire to be satisfied. He says in verse 3, you can have a hundred children, live many years. Uh, You know, what a wonderful thing. But he says, if he's not satisfied by the good things, then you might as well be dead. In fact, the dead are better off. Enjoy what you have. Enjoy the things that God has given you. Enjoy your possessions now. And I love that statement there in verse 7. All man's labor is for his stomach, and yet his appetite is never satisfied. Here's a like big banner warning. Remember, 
All those desires, all these appetites that we have for more things, more possessions, more wealth, more success, more honor, all these things that we value in this life, you will never be satisfied. Just like going to lunch, like we'll all get to eat lunch here very soon, and just in a few hours, we'll all be hungry again. It's the same thing with wealth, the same thing with success, the same thing with honor and glory and power and possessions. It's the same thing. You'll get there, it'll seem like you're good for the moment. Give it just a little time, and your appetite will reemerge. And so, verse 9 Better what the eyes see than wandering desire. This too is futile in the pursuit of the wind. Rather than always wanting, 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 enjoy what you see. Look at what you have. See the things that are right in front of your face and be content. Be happy. Enjoy what you have. Stop lacking contentment and satisfaction looking at all the things you don't have, instead look at what you do have to enjoy. And so often we go through life depressed, miserable, awful feeling because we don't see what we have, we just look at what we don't have. And I don't have all these things, and right here are all these things that I could be enjoying. Bear with me, but Cheryl Crow sung it in a song recently. <laughs> a pretty good song. of songs called Soak Up the Sun. It's not having what you want. It's wanting what you've got. That's it. <laughs> That's what Solomon's saying. Life is a not, not about trying to accumulate all the things you want. It's about enjoying all the things you already have. And so often we don't do that. Open our eyes and look at all the things that we have. Are we not so richly blessed? I don't know that we could go through societies of history and argue that any has been richer than us. I don't know that we could argue it. We eat better than Roman emperors. <laughs> we have so much wealth. We have so many possessions. We have so many tools at our disposal. And on top of that, and more importantly, look at what you have with friends, family, brethren. These things are so important. Don't assume you will always have them. Appreciate them. Enjoy those relationships. Enjoy that time that you have. And use your wealth, use your possessions to enjoy those times together. Paul probably summarized well this whole section that the teacher has given to us when he said, those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which people plunge into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. That's just exactly what all those stories were about. As he witnesses a sickening tragedy of all of these wealthy people, and they're not satisfied, they're not enjoying the fruit of their labor, and they're losing their family and friends in the process. Hello, 21st century America. Exactly what we have today. 
throwing family and friends away and trying to acquire the almighty dollar. And at the end, you're not satisfied. And yet, the money continues to clamor at us and tell us, oh, this will make you happy. This is where Solomon is saying, show wisdom. You know that's not true. You probably have more money now than you had five years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago, thirty years ago. You probably have all sorts of other possessions and accumulation and wealth. Are you now real happy and satisfied? No, you're no different. You're still wanting more. So have wisdom. Look at the situation and realize that's not where true meaning and life enjoyment comes from. Instead, it comes from family, friends, and where Solomon will get to by the end of the book, it comes from God. God is where you will find lasting satisfaction and true joy, and not in the things of this earth. And so I want to leave you then with some quick conclusion points before we go. First, can I say it like this? Life is wasted when we spend it in a pursuit for more money. I really think that's what Solomon was doing by describing these different stories of these wealthy people, is that look at what they've done. They've wasted their lives. They've wasted the time that they've had. They've wasted the possessions that they had. Life is wasted. And we spend it in this pursuit for more and more money. In fact, it leads to a life of pain. It leads to a life of anger. It leads to a life of sorrow. The gift of God is to enjoy what you have now. Look at the things that you have now, and that is God's gift to you. Appreciate them. Accept them. Do not take them for granted. Enjoy it. Look at what you have. Go home today and walk around your home and look at all the things that you have. Go into the closet and pull out all the things that you haven't used in forever. (laughs) You know, we have so much. Enjoy it. Appreciate it. Accept it. And have... Uh, the enjoyment that God wants you to have from these possessions. Third, nothing is more pitiful than to be rich and unable to enjoy it. I think Solomon is describing, look at the rich. They lose their families all to acquire wealth and that wealth will be lost either through their own poor mismanagement or because they die. Why would we make that choice? Why would we knowingly sit down and say, yes, I will sacrifice the people who are so important to me to accumulate more wealth? You're going to lose them, and you're going to lose your wealth as well in the process. I liked the net translation of verse 9, so I'm going to leave you with that verse translated by that translation. It is better to be content with what the eyes can see than for one's heart than for one's heart always to crave more. This continual longing is futile, like chasing the wind. Enjoy what's in front of your eyes and stop desiring the things that cannot be obtained. You pull your songbooks out, and as we sing an invitation song, we invite you to have wisdom, to look at the futility of this world, the futility of riches, and realize that's not where true satisfaction comes from. That's not where lasting joy is. And you know that. You've experienced it for yourself. How you've gone from enjoying a car and give it a year and it's not as nice and give it a few more years and you don't even care anymore. Wealth does not bring the happiness that it claims to give. True satisfaction, true joy comes through Jesus Christ. 
We invite you to see that wisdom, to decide, you know what, it's time to fill the void with something that's real, with something that's tangible, that can give that lasting comfort and joy. To turn away from sins, to make a decision today that you want to follow Jesus Christ with all of your heart. Confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord, and you can then be immersed in water to have your sins washed away. Won't you please do that? Accept the invitation this morning while we stand and while we sing.